Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Okay, this, from this morning's um, opening scripture in Joel chapter 2, verse 15, God's command is to blow the trumpet in Jerusalem, announce a time of fasting, call the people together for a solemn meeting, bring everyone, the elders, the children, even the babies, call the bridegroom from his quarters, and the bride from her private room. Uh, let's talk about this fast again tonight. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the love that we have for each other. And for this church, God, I pray that you would continue to unite us as one and bless our time of Bible study now. Be our teacher from your word is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 15 says, blow the trumpet in Jerusalem. The trumpet is an alarm. It's a sounding device. It, it signals a call to action. And I've been blowing this trumpet about this fast for a couple of weeks now. And so what we are doing starting Wednesday night is not only biblical, but it's ordered by God. And he says to announce a time of fasting. We've done that. He said, call the people together for a solemn meeting. It's a serious meeting, something not to take lightly, something that is deep, something that should have some weight to it. This is not to be done casually. This is a serious meeting. We've done that. Verse 16 says, bring everyone. We'll find out on Wednesday. But for those of us who have done this before, or if you've ever done any type of small group, any new effort, you know that uh, the first week, uh, more people come out. And then it gets lower and lower and lower. And I don't know that that will be our track this year, but I don't know if Wednesday night will be our largest crowd. I don't know if uh, it would be hard to believe that more people would come out on Thursday night than come out on Wednesday night. But um, the important thing that we want to concentrate on is ourselves. It's easy to get caught up in what other people are doing, but we need to get caught up in what we are doing with God and what God is doing with us. Be real personal with God this year. We're going to talk a lot about getting healthy in 2017, getting serious about getting healthy. To be serious about your own spirituality means you're going to have to take personal account for your life. Stop blaming the preacher. Stop blaming the shortcomings of the church. Stop blaming the shortcomings of society. Stop blaming the shortcomings of the evil around you and get serious about your own life and take personal responsibility for your own life. You can't control the government. You can't control how evil people in this community are or in this world are. Um, it can be very discouraging if you watch the news. I mean, you see people killing folk at baggage terminals, those those. Four people tied up that handicapped boy and, and kidnapped him and brutalized him. Um, there's, it's, a, it's a lot of stuff you can see that's just very wicked in this earth. And it's on all sides and every spectrum. But we've got to not allow ourselves to play into the negative. We've got to, allow, we've got to force ourselves to continue to say, but I have a responsibility to God. It's easy sometimes um, for old school preachers because most old school preachers we're brought up constantly being forced by our leaders to restate one sentence. Uh, a charge I have to keep and a God to glorify. 
Now, we had to say that all the time because our, our mentors wanted us to know, I have a charge to keep, a charge I have to keep, and a God to glorify. No matter what everybody else is doing, I have a charge to keep and a God to glorify. No matter what the weather is, I have a charge to keep and a God to glorify. No matter what the political structure is, I have a charge to keep from God. God has called me to do something. And that's not just for pastors. You've got a charge to keep. You've got a relationship with God to maintain. And if you uh, think about any relationship you have, it takes some level of maintenance. Some take more than others, but you've got to put something into it. If you, want a, if you want a close relationship with someone, you need to communicate with them. And we, we're going to be in commune with God in a special way over these 21 days. This morning, I talked to you about this passage out of Joel chapter 2. It would be a great passage for you to spend some time reading tonight, tomorrow, coming up uh, into Wednesday. God talks about the if and the then of fasting. He talks about the if we come to him sincere if we come to him with fasting with weeping with mourning if we come to him uh, asking him to help affect change in our situation that perhaps he will god makes no promise and god owes no one god i I tell my kids my kids like can we do so-and-so maybe clean your room and we'll see they hear that all the time not i'm not i don't owe my children anything uh they, they get what they get, and if, and if you ask them what's the rest of that, they let you know, according to Nana, you get what you get, and you don't pitch a fit, uh, and, <laughs> and that's just good home training. Uh, we need to understand that there's an if and a then to this fasting, and God says, if you do all these things, then maybe God will give you a reprieve. Maybe God will uh, be provoked to action on your behalf, and God will step into your situation, and that is seriously more than enough from me uh, put verse 20 on the screen Deacon Keon, Joel 2 20 listen to what the Bible says I will remove these armies from the north and send them far away I will drive them back into the parched wastelands where they will die those in the rear will go to the Dead Sea those at the front will go into the Mediterranean the stench of their bodies will rise over the land surely the Lord has done great things there's a t- this time in history for God's people was a time of struggle. It was a time of difficulty. It was a time of unease. It was a time of political unrest. It was a time of oppression. It was a time where they had less than what they used to have. And that's why God said that if you will come back to me with fasting, if you will come back to me in sincerity, if you will seek for me diligently, then, then maybe I'll make it the way it used to be when your barns were full. Maybe, maybe you'll have what you used to have and even more than what you used to have. And God said that in verse 19. And in verse 20, he said, I will remove these armies far from you. They were being oppressed. They were being overtaken. They were being uh, aggressed by people that didn't love them and didn't love their God. Listen, it's just like you've heard. More things change, the more they stay the same. You have armies fighting against you. You may not be able to name them nationally, but you have battles. You have struggles. You have people that mean you no good. Jesus said, marvel not if the world hates you. They hated me first. There's always going to be opposition, whether it's your boss or some co-worker trying to undermine you or whether it's, it's the people you work for, the people that work for you, the people that live in your house. I mean, there's always going to be some type of friction in life. And God said that if we do what he tells us to do, that he will remove. 
Look what it says in verse 20. I will remove these armies from the north and send them far away. The Bible says we have these stories for our example so we can learn from them. So there were people who were being aggressed and opposed by the opposition. There were the armies that were against them. You need to know there's opposition. There's armies against you. And you can fight them. You can take them on as your battle. You can see them as your enemy. Or you can realize the battle belongs to the Lord. This is taught throughout Scripture. You can try to handle your own situation and twist your own pickle jar loose. Or you can hand it over to God and ask him to do it. You can try to fight your own battle and overcome these forces, these armies, these opposers. Or you can do what the Bible says in uh chapter 2 that we've led up to verse 20 and you do if you do the if God will do the then if you come with fasting and sincerity God will drive these armies away from you how cool would it be if in some way God drove the thing that was battling you away from you see because most of us are battling something internally most of us are battling something uh many times we can be our own worst enemy either with our habits or or our uh thoughts or the way we deal with things. And God says that he can drive those things away from you. I would love God to drive away um, everything that opposes him in my life. It'd be a whole lot easier. Um, we came up the same way we come to church. Well, there's a couple of different ways we come, but we've got to get on 103rd at some point, some way. And I really like it better when I catch the lights all green than when I catch the lights all red. Do you follow me? I like it better when I don't have ignorant people driving in front of me that are stopping at green lights and sitting in the middle of the road looking this way when, it, when it's 103rd Street. You're supposed to be on the gas. You know what I'm saying? I, I like it better when God uh, plows the path in front of me, when, when God makes it easier. You many times will find yourself in life swimming against the current. But when you find yourself swimming with the current, you know it's a whole better thing. If you've ever done any type of ministry, uh, pastors talk about pulpits being slick or being stiff. Some places and some services um, are easy to minister in. And some places are just hard to minister in. Uh, you want to be in a place where you're going with the flow of God. You want to be in a place where God is opening doors and you don't have to push every door in. I want you to at least admit in your mind, if you won't show it on your face tonight, that you would like for God to help you some in 2017. But you would like for God to push some of your armies and opposers out. You would like for God to overcome some things for you so you don't have to do it. So you don't have to be fighting you all the time. So you don't have to be fighting people all the time. God said that he will remove opposition from you he will drive them back far away look, look, look at the next thing. i will drive them back into the parched wastelands where they will die most time we battle things it dies down and then we battle it again most times in life we have people things issues oppose us and then we get a break a reprieve as he talked about in, in earlier in chapter two and then it rises up its ugly head again, and we have to battle the same demons all over again, same issues all over again, same people all over again, same habits all over again, same thoughts all over again, uh, and then hope to get some reprieve from that again. But God said that if we come to him with fasting, prayer, 
weeping, mourning sincerity that he will remove the armies away from you. That's cool, but if he removes them, they can come back. And that happens a lot in our life. But he says that he will remove them, drive them far away where they will die. I hope some habits die in 2017. I hope some bad thinking dies in 2017. I hope some opposition dies in 2017. You say, Pastor, you, you want people to die? It not bother me none. People opposing the plan of God and the man of God, they've gone to their destiny. Because the Bible says the grave is the end of all people and we will all come to it. And I, honestly, if God got to move some people out of the way for peace to reign in the earth, I'm, hey, I'm ready to go and they ought to be ready to go. And God says that he would drive them far away and he will push them out uh, into a place where they will die. Now, the next sentence, and I've preached this and taught this passage many times, and it, this doesn't appeal to everybody. It appeals to certain people, battling combative, um, competitive people. Not only will he drive them away from you, not only will he remove the armies, drive them away from you where they will die, it goes on to say, those in the rear guard will go into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is a picture of total lack of life. They will go to a place where they can't even hope to live. Now, if you think about your enemies, now let's get un-super churchy for a minute. Because, you know, super churchy people are supposed to love their enemies and wish the best on their enemies. But David said of the enemies of God, oh, how I hate them. Oh, how I've hated them with perfect hatred because they hate you. Now, there's a certain group of people that it's okay to, to, to hope they don't win. There's a certain crowd of people that it's okay to hope to see that they get theirs. God said for those people that refuse to hearken unto his voice, he will laugh at them in their calamity and in their day of destruction. Now, a lot of people's personality just don't lean to that. Um, you know, you're not the type guy. See, um, I grew up boxing, and I love boxing. And if you're a boxer, if, if Brother David and I are boxing, and, and I'm firing out that jab, and I cut him o over his right eye right there, if, if I'm, you know, of a certain personality, I, I, I'm like, man, I hate to hit him right there in that spot where he's hurting. But if I'm of my personality, I'm like, that's my time zoning in on that now because I got him. And I'm just banging him in that, bam, bam. And I'm opening that cut wider and wider. And this is a picture of what God's saying. Not only are they going to go die in the Dead Sea, those at the front are going to go into the Mediterranean. Then he says, the stench of their rotten bodies will rise over the land. The Hebrew people were battling people. The Hebrew people were not as civilized as we you know, this 5,000 years ago, they weren't as civilized as we are today. And when God told them, I'm going to kill your enemies, and I'm going to let you put their heads on sticks, and they're gonna, their bodies are going to rot for all the world to see. They didn't say, yay, hooray, hoorah, because we hate people. They said, yay, hooray, hoorah, because our side wins and our side is God. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm not going to tell you all the heads I want on sticks, but... Uh, the stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. This is the word of the Lord. And he finishes that verse by saying, Surely the Lord has done great things. If God took every enemy you had, if God took everyone who was trying to stop you from being the man, the woman, the young person that God wanted to be, and he, he snatched life out of them and put it on the newspaper, here lays the rotten corpse 
and decaying carcass of the person that hated the God in Lauren Vereen and just did not want Lauren Vereen to succeed in Christ. Some people would be like, yay, go God. And other people would be like, but it's just so gross. Well, they got, these, these, these weren't easily grossed out people thousands of years ago. It's a great thing for God to defeat your enemy. It's a great thing for God to drive the opposition far away from you. You don't have to want to see their heads on sticks, and you don't have to want to see their rotten carcass. You don't, want, you don't need the stench of their rotten bodies to rise up all over the land, as the Scripture says. But I want you to let God drive difficulty away from you during this time of fasting. I want you to get in a place of flow with God. He said in verse 21, don't be afraid. My people, be glad now and rejoice because the Lord has done great things. He just said the Lord has done great things. Now he's saying the Lord has done great things again. When a parent or an authority figure says something twice in back-to-back sentences, that thing that is being said repetitively should garner extra attention. If your boss says, I'll be back at 3 um, I want that report on my desk. I, I, I got to go to a dentist appointment. Make sure you had that report on my desk at 3. He told you to do what with that report? What time is he expecting it? He said it twice. He said it twice for a reason. He wants that to be paid attention to. When an authority figure, especially God, says something twice in back-to-back sentences, it's something that needs to get special attention, and God wants us to pay special attention to his statement that he has done great things. That's Janet's testimony coming in tonight, that God has done great things in her life, that she doesn't need prodding. She doesn't need anyone to hold her down and, 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 and beat into her head that God has blessed her and done great things for her. She carries that revelation in her pocket. She, she's mindful of that on a regular basis. You need to be mindful of the fact that God has done great things. It is not hard for God to win. If you have been opposed for a long period of time, if you've been in a difficult situation, if you've been in a situation that caused you pain for a long time, if you've been wronged by people often, it can put you in a position of when am I ever going to get a break? When are they going to get off me and get on someone else? you got to keep in your mind, God's done so many great things in the earth already, surely he can do something great again. You need to believe that. You need, you need to do away with disappointment in your mind about what God is able to do. People will disappoint you. People will let you down. People will fall short. But God has done great things. And he that has done great things will do great things again. He said, be glad now and rejoice. He's telling a bunch of people who are opposed, who have armies on every side, who are in lack and, and, and in persecution to rejoice and be glad now. And see, this is the mindset where the writer gets the song, don't wait till the party's over, shout now. Don't, don't wait till you, you, you can count all your chips, just be excited because you know it's coming. And that's what the people of God need. We need a it's coming praise. We need a I'm winning praise. We need a I'm winning praise when it doesn't look like we're winning. 
because God has done great things. We need an I'm winning praise mindset. We need an overcomer mindset when we're underneath because we know God has already put people over and he's going to put us over. At some point, we're all coming out. At some point, we're all getting healed. At some point, we're all getting delivered. You might battle gluttony. One, one day, you won't have to battle gluttony because there won't be fast food in heaven. Hallelujah. You, you might battle negativism. You might battle, battle gossip. You might battle cursing. You might battle drinking. You might battle smoking, fornicating, alcohol, drug addiction. You might battle um, homongering. You might battle whatever it is you battle, and you may be desiring God to defeat that for you so that you can walk into your destiny and be everything that God wants you to be. I promise you this. One day, all that fighting will be laid to rest. Will you see it here? I don't know. But you'll see it one day if you hold on to the Lord. Deliverance is promised. Salvation, healing, and deliverance. Total salvation, total healing, and total deliverance is promised. Some of it we'll see in this life. Some of it we will see in the next life. But we need to have a God done great things. I was talking to someone this week about grief trying to minister to someone about overcoming some things. And the reality is I, I, I shared my testimony about when Gail was getting sicker and sicker and sicker in the hospital. And we had doctors and nurses say, well, as ministers, does this affect your faith? I mean, is, things aren't going in the right direction. We're sure you're praying. Um, does, does this, and, and never, never affected my faith or hers because our constant confession was, God's already done more for us than we deserve. And if you don't realize that, you're going to struggle for victory in life. If you realize that, you will never struggle for victory because you don't need any. Because if, you, if God never did another thing for me, he did enough at Calvary. That doesn't just rhyme. That's the truth. And if you don't understand and believe that, you will struggle for victory in this life. But if you do understand and believe that, then no victory is out of your reach. He doesn't have to do anything else for me. He did enough at Calvary. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to suffer. He didn't have to let his creation mock him, spit on him, beat him, and take my place. But he did. So we ought to be able to be glad and rejoice no matter what position we find ourselves in. Not because of our position, but because God has done great things. I can remember what, when the Cubs were down. What were they down? Uh, Three games to one. And Deacon Jimmy was walking around. And he still says he really meant it because he had, he had looked at what the matchups that were coming up in the next three games. And he was walking around telling people, we got them right where we want. Down three games to one. It's the best, best of seven series. They needed one game. That meant that they, if they lost one game, they, they were out. But they had to win three games in a row to win. Uh, but Deacon Jimmy was like, look, we got this guy pitching in, in game five. We got this guy pitching in game six. We got this guy pitching in game seven. We're pitching against their guy here, their other guy here, and their other guy there. And we're better than those three guys. And I've seen these three guys do work. And these next three pitchers that we got coming up, I've seen them do work. And so I, I believe they're going to do work again. And they did work again. And they won game five, six, and seven and won the World Series for the first time in 100 years and made a bunch of Cubs fans happy. Well, if you know what your guy is capable of you don't have to worry what the score is at halftime if you know what your guy is capable of you don't really get freaked out down three to one 
Listen, I'm a Boston Celtics fan till I die. I got a buddy of mine that I talk to every day. He's a Boston Celtics fan. We grew up together. We talk to each other every day, and we talk sports and lots of other things, religion, everything, life. Um, but we talk a lot of sports. And he was just determined. He was determined. Boston was playing Cleveland about a week or so ago, and it all runs together for me. But uh, he was determined that Boston was going to beat Cleveland. I'm like, Boston is not going to beat Cleveland. We don't have one superstar on our team. They're top to bottom. Uh, for their front five is, is unmatchable uh, for us. We're in a lot of trouble. Well, the game ended up with three seconds left. Jay Crowder had a chance to tie the game if he would have hit a three-pointer. And he was all excited. And his theory was, oh, we had it, we had it, we had it. I, and I told him, see, that's the spin that you have because you're unrealistic. With five minutes to play in that game, Cleveland was up by 21 and pulled everybody out. And Boston crawled back into the end of, into it. If you're, up, if you're down by 20, halfway through the fourth quarter, the other team's not really worried about you. Boston was trying to claw their way back in it while all the starters were on the bench. Well, about two and a half minutes left, they just, you know, they, they threw their starter, Cleveland threw their starters back on uh, to make sure that they held on to the win and won the game by three or four points. But they were up by 20. They had it the whole time. Now, nobody on the cliff. And, and I tried to explain to my friend, listen, LeBron was not sweating ball because he was like, we had it. We should have won that game. And I'm like, well, we're never even in that game. What are you talking about? But now, they, they were killing. Oh, no. It, it, we, 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 we were right there if Jay Crowder would have hit that shot. I'm like, look, they never even considered losing that game. If they would have been down by 20, they, they still wouldn't have considered losing that game. But they would have, LeBron would have just put his foot on the gas pedal, rolled over Boston, and that would have been that. What am I telling you? If you know what your guy can do, it doesn't matter what the score is. As long as there's time left. If you look at old tapes of sports games, the, the, the ones that are great, you, you look at the Elways, of the world, you look at these guys that, that manufacture fourth-quarter comebacks. What are that San Francisco boy's name? Joe Montana. These guys will go in the huddle and say, look, just calm down. We got a minute and 13 seconds. We only need five. We're about to get six. Let's go. Who's with me? All the other team's fans are pumped up because they're winning. 73 seconds left to go. But you know what Joe Montana knew? 73 seconds is all he needed. Why? Because he had done it so many times. He was not confused by the score. He knew what he could do. You need to know what God can do. You need to find some confidence, some 2017 confidence in what God can do. But it starts with a recognition of what he's done. See, a lot of those fans, man, they do. You let Joe Montana have the ball with a minute and a half to go down by less than six it's over you may as well get up and stop cheering now because he's gonna break your heart don't let the right guy come up to the plate down by two with bases loaded bottom of the night he's just writing that script he's about to park one in the cheap seats you need to have that measure of confidence in God my God is never out of the game see it how you want to I got God on my team be one, one second left, down by five. Second and three on your, on your own eight-yard line. 
92 yards to go. One second. You only need one second to hike the ball. The play runs until somebody's down. If you've got God running the ball and he's got to go 92 yards to win the game, God is not sweating going 92 yards to win the game. He's just going to go 92 yards to win the game. Has God done anything for you? If you can't think of something that he's done for you, think of salvation. If you can't say constantly, this is why we have times of testimony. So we can hear someone say, my situation at my job got better. My situation in my home got better. God did something good for me. Because we need to have a mindset that our God is capable of doing good things. I'm going to rush through this to get to the point. We, we looked last week in St. Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 6, where Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. And he told them that he expected them to fast and to do it sincerely, not as a show. And I told you that private discipline brings open rewards. Jesus said, when you fast and pray in secret, God will see you and reward you openly. We're going to fast and we're going to pray and we're going to expect rewards. But what is fasting? I told you before, fasting is denying your body of something it craves. It can be television. See, we think of fasting as only food related. That's diet. Fasting can be the Internet. Fasting can be TV after 9 o'clock. Fasting can be the Internet after 9 o'clock. Fasting can be video games for children or some of you dudes that never grew up. Fasting can be um, hanging out with your buddies. You can, fasting can be food. You get serious about it, pick something that you really like, that giving up for 21 days would be more difficult than you could imagine. See, because if it's easy, I told y'all I don't eat breakfast. If I say I'm fasting breakfast 21 days, that's nothing. The Bible says not to offer God anything that costs you nothing, but that your sacrifice should be a sacrifice. That means it cuts into you. A sacrifice is something that is cut open and given. It ought to cut into you. It ought to be something that you're going to miss drastically. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the reward. If you want to say, I'm fasting tomato soup, and you ain't had tomato soup in 15 years, then you don't expect much reward from that, okay? Now, if you, if you are a coffee addict, and you say, I'm fasting coffee, I got a lot of bad news for you. Well, you're going to have a bad headache, you're going to be irritable, and you're going to miss that coffee. I don't know what you're going to fast, but you need to pick something today or tomorrow because... Uh, you need to go into this fast. We're going to start this fast late Tuesday night, mid midnight, begins Wednesday morning. We're going to start this fast. You go to bed Tuesday night, it's a wrap. You get up on Wednesday, or if you stay up past midnight, at midnight, Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, this one, the fast, is going to start. So you got today and tomorrow to pick what you're going to fast. In the Bible, several different types of fast. A total fast was all food, partial fast, certain things people would fast. I, I got several different things that I'm laying before God. See, I don't want to fast for extremism because I'm an extreme dude. See, I can say I'm fasting everything. I, I've done 40-day uh, fast, no food at all. Um, so 21 days with no food, I mean, it's, it's extreme, but it, it's not as extreme for me it probably as it would be for other people because my job is to study and pray. That's what the Scripture says in Acts chapter 6. My job as a pastor is to give myself to study and prayer. I read. I can read laying down, and I often do. 
Um, so my job is, is not hard for me to uh, go without food for extended periods of time because I'm not expending a lot of calories in the course of my day. But it can be certain types of food. There's a lot of talk in today's society because a lot of people got rich writing books about the Daniel Fast where they ate a certain type of a diet that was heavy on fruit and vegetables uh, at, without meat. Uh, you got to decide what you want to give up, but it needs to be something that costs you something. I pulled out eight different reasons from the Bible that I share with you guys every year. These are the eight reasons that I see in Scripture why people fast. Do we have all those eight on one screen, Deacon? Or, all right, here we go. These are the eight reasons why I believe you should fast. And here's what I want you to do tonight. I'll, as I read these out, I want you to follow along with me, and I want you to say, that's what I need, that's what I need, that's what I need right there. And I want you to pick one of these, and this is going to be why you fast. Because if you don't have a why you fast, you can't get a reward. If you don't, if you don't know why you're fasting, then you're not going to know if, it, if, if what you did made any difference. Okay? Here's why we fast. Number one, is there a friend or a loved one that needs salvation? If you got somebody that you want to see saved, you can fast unto their salvation. You can dedicate your fast, and people have done it in Scripture, denied themselves of earthly pleasure for the salvation of a loved one. Uh, number two, do you desire a deeper, more intimate, and powerful relationship with the Lord? If you don't, then you, you need to get number one. Number three, if you're in need of a fresh encounter with God. See, that's different than number two. It sounds a lot alike because it's a more intimate, powerful relationship with the Lord. But some people would be honest and say, you know what? I'm still in a deep relationship with God. I'm, I'm still in a daily walk with God. I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm communing with God daily, but honestly, I need a fresh touch. See, because you can be with somebody every day and still need a fresh touch. Number four, are you ready to have a heightened sensitivity to the desires of God? If you know that you need God to move you more, if you need to be more sensitive to sin, more sensitive to situation, more sensitive to what's going on, you, you need to ask God. And people have asked God in the Bible and fasted for God to make them more sensitive to his plan for their life. Number five, if, are you in need of a miracle or healing? If you're in need of healing or a miracle, that can be your whole fast. For you or for someone else. Fast for healing. Fast for a miracle. Number six, do you desire to know God's will for your life? Maybe you're in a flux. Maybe you're in a transition. Maybe you just really don't know. Maybe you got a fork in your road and you're not sure about something. And you need clarity on it. You can dedicate your fast to know God's will for your life. I can tell you what God's will for your life is because the Bible says this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That you give thanks in everything. Be more thankful. You'll walk yourself into God's will. But if you need to know job, relationship, which way to go, which direction to take, fast for number six. Number seven, do you need to break away from bondages that have been holding you hostage? Very few people in church are honest enough to admit they have bondage. Very few people in church are honest enough to admit that they have issues. That's what makes abundant life different. We, we keep our issues up front so we don't disappoint anybody. If you have issues that you are just ready to be free from, just tired of it, I get, I get this almost every day. Somebody will 
drop an F-bomb in front of me or some curse word and uh, cover their mouth and, and apologize to me. I'm like, you ain't got to apologize to me. I was in the Army. I, I told somebody that this afternoon. I'm like, trust me, I heard worse. I, I spent uh, some of the best years of my life in the Army. Um, they need to break. That's obviously a bondage in their life because as soon as it was coming out, they tried to catch it and shove it back in their mouth. They need to fast for that. Get loosed from that cussing spirit. Whatever your issue is, something that's holding you back is what bondage is. Something that's preventing you from moving forward. Something that's preventing you from getting to the place in your life you want to be. You can be loose from bondage. You can dedicate your fast to that. Number eight, if there's a dream inside you that only God can make possible. And you're ready to see it happen. Some of you know the ministry that you would love to see come out of you. And it just seems like it's not springing out. You need to fast with that dream, that thing that only God can do. Maybe it's a career path. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a, a relationship. If only, but it's a dream that you have, and, and it seems far-fetched in the human. You need to dedicate your fast to God and say, look, God, I'm, I'm going to fast and ask God to let this dream come true. I've told you every time we talk about fasting that the trap that people fall into is they make it more about what they give up than what they add. See, at a minimum, I'm going to fast all red meat because I eat red meat every day. I eat out every day. Some people say, oh, we go to restaurants all the time. Well, that's, some of that's just verbiage. That's, that's metaphorical. That's, not, that's figurative, not literal. When I tell you that my family eats out every day, trust, we eat out every day. Two, three times. We've already had Burger King twice today. Um, I ain't hating Burger King. I'm a Burger King fan. They got a Whopper Jr. thing going on right now. Whopper Jr., fries, four nuggets, and a Coke for $3.99. You can't stomp that out with a wet rag. Uh... I ate a lot of red meat um, because that's what I prefer. My, my whole family, meat and potatoes, steak, hamburger, that's where I'm at. You know, fish, all that, mm, have that. Uh, but I got a couple other things that I'm considering. But I don't want it to be about what I'm giving up as much as I want it to be about what I'm adding. Because it's easy to get caught up saying, wow, okay, because some of y'all really should. Not just fast, but do away with TV after 9 o'clock at night. Some people might fast, you know, technology after dinner. Um, that can start consuming your mind. If, some, if you're a caffeine addict and you give up caffeine, if, if, if you know, if, if, if you drink, drink a lot, if you smoke, if you give up things that you do constantly throughout the day, that can get into your mind like, I ain't done this all day, I ain't done this all day, I ain't done this all day. And then your fast becomes more about what you're giving up than what your purpose is. That's why you need to pick one of these eight things and you need to write it down. You need to pick one of these eight things and you need to write it down. And you need to say, this is why I'm fasting. I'm fasting. You can make it simple. I'm fasting because I need to be closer to God. 
You need to pick one of these things, and you need to remind yourself. It's not about the fact that I'm turning my TV off every night by 9 o'clock. It's about I'm praying more when I turn that off. Every, see, this is why you fast. So when that trigger, when you want that cup of coffee, you go to your Word and you read Word. When you want to play that video game, you go to your knees and you pray. Some of y'all need to turn noise off in your house. Some of y'all got music going all the time. Y'all grew up in that generation where your parents let you study with music on, headphones on all the time, got blah, blah, blah in your head all the time. The Bible says be still, be quiet in a secret place. But it needs to be about what you're adding, not what you're subtracting. And I guarantee you, if you give up something of worth, if you give up something that really creates a lot of, oh, my God, I haven't had that all day, then you can easily think more about what you're giving up than realizing, I need to pray more. Add more than you subtract. It will be spiritual. If you only subtract, it's a diet or it's a self-deprival. It's not a fast. All right, fast is going to start midnight, coming into Wednesday. I don't have time to ask you what you're fasting but I want to encourage you to share it with somebody, okay? I want to encourage you to share it with somebody. You can share it with somebody in this room. You can, share, you, you can PM somebody. You can send somebody a text. You can send somebody an email. Call them on the phone. Y'all realize people, this is a commercial I saw the other day, and it really said, wow, that really is true. This teenage, it was some, uh, I think it was a gum commercial, some, some teenage boy, oh, no, it was a Pepsi commercial. Some teenage boy's hitting on this teenage girl, and he gets her number. And he's like, okay, I'll call you. Uh, I mean, I'll text you. What am I, like, your dad? I'll call you. And I'm like, that is really what this world has come to right now. It's like calling somebody is so out of vogue. Uh, let, me, let me tell you something. It's way easier to say it than, to, uh, oh, no, Pastor, I, I, I type it, I swipe, uh, my words come. Nah, you're wasting all that time. You can call somebody old school style. You know, people used to mock snail mail at people that used to still send cards and letters. Now they're mocking you for calling people on the phone. Oh, my gosh, she's the only person that still calls me. I wish he'd text me. You can text somebody. But tell somebody what you're fasting. If you don't have anybody that you want to, want to let know, text me. My phone number's in the phone book. My phone number is written on everything. It's on, it's on my card. My, my Facebook is easy to find. Um, I'm the most contactable dude on the planet. Um, pick why you're fasting. Pick what you're fasting and tell somebody. Do, you, do we have the point of tonight's message? Pick why you're fasting. Pick what you're fasting and tell somebody. So when it happens... You can give God glory for it. The Bible says you're snared by the words of your mouth. You set traps for yourself by what you say. Because you ought to be a man or woman of your word. And if you say you're fasting, Cokes, soft drinks, coffee, whatever, you said it. You told somebody, you told another Christian human being that. That that's what God told you to fast. And God said it's better not to vow vow than to vow vow and break it. But vowing a vow puts you in a position of keeping it. And when you vow a vow openly and you keep it, God honors that. So you need to know why 
What do you want to see happen as a result of this? Well, I want my finances to get better. That ain't up there, but that's something only God can fix. Your, your boss ain't just going to decide on his own, hey, I'm going to triple your salary today. Okay? But whatever it is, whether it's on that list or not, you, th- thank you for that uh, extra note, Deacon. That wasn't even in my notes. He put that up there. That's the, that's the whole point. You, you need to know exactly why. What do you want to see get better in your life? Know that. Write that down. What are you going to give up for 21 days as a sacrifice to God? God, I'm giving this to you because I want your reward. God said he's not unfaithful. He would not forget your labor of love, but in all labor there's profit. When you give up something, God is not unfaithful to you. He will will see that, and he will honor that. The Bible says that you can't give away a cup of water in the Lord's name without getting a reward. Anything you give up, the Bible promises 30, 60, or 100-fold increase. God's going to bless whatever you give up, but you need to know how you want him to bless you. Somebody to get saved, somebody to get healed, you to get your mind together, you to have better direction. You to get a fresh encounter with God. Whatever it is, pick why, pick what, and then tell somebody and get ready to stay with it. And don't, don't that's why I said you got until, you got today, uh, you got Monday and Tuesday to figure it out. Monday and Tuesday, by Tuesday, you need to know. And it need to be locked down. You need to know exactly what you're going to give up for 21 days. And we're going to have a solemn assembly for 21 days. We're going to be dead serious. We're getting serious in 2017 about our spirituality and I believe this can be the greatest time of your life God put people on 21 day fast in the Bible they didn't know what we know now every psychologist will tell you now every every uh, neo-psychologist will tell you now that if you can do something for 21 days in a row that you've developed a consistent consistency pattern that could potentially be a lifetime habit for you anybody can read their Bible two days in a row. Anybody can pray five days in a row. Anybody can be nice five minutes in a row. But if you do something for 21 days in a row, psychologists say that you have developed a consistency pattern in your psyche that has given you the potential for that to be a lifetime pattern for you. doesn't say that it will happen every day for the rest of your life, but there's the potential there. You need to break free from some things for 21 days. Anything you can break for 21 days, you can break forever. And anything you can adhere to for 21 days, you can adhere to forever. And I believe that this is going to catapult us in the spiritual realm. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Help us, God, to know why we're fasting. Help us to know what we're fasting. And help us to tell someone so we'll be serious about it. Lord, I pray that you would bless our nation and bless us as your people. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.